0: There are times that a text of Scripture burns its way into your mind and brings deep conviction to your conscience, and the more you study that passage of Scripture, the more like a multifaceted gem you see new gleams of truth from it. That's been my experience with the theme text in John 9 verse 4 for the conference this week. The more I've studied it, the more I've seen insights in that passage that I hadn't seen before. So as we open the Word of God, I invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray that the Lord will take this passage of Scripture and burn this passage into our hearts, into our minds, and it that'll make a real difference in our lives. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you with all of our hearts for the Word of God. We thank you for the authoritative, infallible, clear word of God. We thank you that the Holy Spirit that inspired the word speaks through that word to our hearts tonight. We pray that you'd lift our vision, open our eyes, unstop our ears, soften our hearts, enable us to see beautiful things in your word that are life transformational, that make a difference in our practices. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. From 1979 to 1985, I had the privilege with my wife of directing the Lake Union Soul Winning Institute in Chicago, and later, after that, became the North American Division Soul Winning Institute. We had seminary students join us from Andrews University, And as these seminary students joined us, one of the highlights of the quarter for them, usually they were there for two quarters taking their masters of divinity degree, and we incorporated medical missionary courses into our courses, had various physicians from the area that came and helped us in our teaching process, had variety of health programs throughout Chicago. But one of the highlights always to our quarter was when I took the students out to Wheaton College and we visited the Billy Graham Evangelistic Museum. It's a museum dedicated to the ministry and life of Billy Graham. Billy went to Wheaton and um, from there launched his evangelistic meetings that carried carried him around the world. One of the lesser known students that went to Wheaton College was Jim Elliot. Now, Jim was a well-known missionary, later became a well-known missionary, went to Ecuador, and some of you may have seen the film called Through Gates of Splendor. Jim Elliott and a team of young missionaries decided in 1956 to reach the Auca Indians that were way back in the jungles of Ecuador. They had made a number of trips to the Orcas, they gave them gifts, they thought that they had developed some kind of relationship, but then when they landed on the Quarry River on this little kind of peninsula airstrip, something went tragically wrong and these four missionaries were speared to death. It was a tragedy that made headlines around the world. One of the interesting things about this story is that Jim Elliott, as a student at Wheaton, began to keep a journal. And you can actually read some of the sections in his journal today. Um, His, for example, his journal statement um, in October of 1940 said this. It was written in October 20th, 1948. And Elliot penned in his journal these words, which have deeply impressed me, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And then he made this statement, when it comes to die, make sure all you have to do is die. When it comes to die, make sure that all you have to do is die. Jim Elliot basically was saying this, when you come to the end of your life, be sure you have finished the work that you were born for. In short, work for the night's coming. Seize the moment. Seize the opportunity that God has given you. You will never, ever live yesterday again. You'll never live a week ago again. We live this life only once. And what Eliot was saying is, when you come to die, be sure, make sure that all you have to do is die. In other words, make sure that the task you were born for, the thing that you were called to do, you've accomplished in the name of Christ. This leads us to our text of the evening, in John chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, take them please in turn to John chapter 9. You'll see it on the screen. But also, let's take a look at John, the ninth chapter in Scripture. We looked at this somewhat earlier this morning in our Sabbath school time, but John chapter 9, we're going to look there at verse 1 to 4. And tonight, especially, look at one text, verse 4. John 9, starting with verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither. In other words, sickness is not always the direct result of sin. There can be environmental reasons, there can be genetic reasons, we go on. But that the work of God may be revealed in him. In other words, although this sickness has taken place, God's character is gonna be revealed as it solves the problem of blindness. Light will shine into this man's eyes. God is a loving God. He touches blind eyes and they're opened. He touches deaf ears and they're unstopped. He heals withered arms. He causes the lame people to walk again and to run. The character of God is one of healing. It's one of health. But it's verse four that we're gonna study and there are three points in verse four. Jesus says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no man can work. Now notice, first you have the divine obligation. I must work the works of him who sent me. Now notice what Jesus does not say. Jesus does not say, um, it's possible that I'm going to work the works of him that sent me, but uh, there's other tasks that I have to accomplish. I call this the divine obligation. Jesus never hesitated. Jesus never regretted. Jesus never recalled a step. When duty arose, there was never a question with him. Christ was under a divine obligation. You and I did not choose to be born. When the genes and chromosomes came together to form the unique biological structure your personality, God threw away the pattern. Why is it that you live in 2021? Why weren't you born 100 years ago? Why weren't you born 200 years ago? Why is it that you were born in the country you were born in? Why is it that you had the opportunity to have the education that you had? Why is it that you are a medical professional today? Jesus was a medical missionary brought into this world's history, according to Galatians 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time came. It was no accident that Jesus came onto the scene of earth's history when he came. He could have been born 100 years before or 100 years after, but in the divine drama of destiny, God brought forth Jesus at the right time of earth's history to manifest God's love in grace and compassion. Life is not a divine accident. In the divine drama of destiny, you and I were brought forth at for this time of earth's history by an all-wise, all-sovereign, infinite God that brought us forth now to exist for a specific person, and we are under the divine obligation, Jesus said, I must do the works of him that sent me. Now, throughout Scripture, you see this I must coming back again and again as a glorious refrain. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, and again, if you have your Bible, take a look there, Luke 2, verse 49. There are three I must statements that define the ministry of Christ all in the Gospel of Luke. I need not remind you that Luke was a physician. Luke was under a divine mandate. Luke was under a divine mandate. Somebody got it, the rest of you missed it. Luke chapter 2, we're looking here at verse 49. And scripture says in Luke 2 verse 49, Luke as a physician had a divine mandate to go out and preach the gospel to the world. That's the mandate that I'm interested in, a mandate that releases us to go out and preach the gospel to men and women and share the love of Jesus with them. Luke chapter 2, verse 49, Jesus at a very young age had this sense of destiny. He had this sense that he was born for a purpose. He had this sense that his life was focused on a direction. Luke 2, verse 49, Jesus is 12 years old. He's in the temple. His parents come in looking for him because they've missed him over the last three days. Luke 2, verse 49, when he said to them, why is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must? Here's the divine obligation and Jesus never forgot it. He says, what is it, why is it you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? He was under that divine obligation to give his life for the thing that really counted, to share God's love with others. Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Like a glorious re-echoing refrain, it comes back again and again in the Gospel of Luke. This I must. Luke 4, verse 43. And here, Jesus is talking about the purpose that he's come into the world. He has just healed a man in the synagogue of Capernaum. You can read about the fuller explanation of this in Mark 1. Evening has come, and then according to verse 40, now when the sun was setting, all those who had anyone that was sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. The demons came out of many, and they said, you're Christ, the Son of God. Now, I want you to get this picture. The sun is set Sabbath is gone, and Jesus enters into this healing ministry with scores of people in that village. He's touching blind eyes and opening them. He's touching withered arms, and people have new life coursing through their veins again. The great medical missionary, and they want him to stay. There are still sick people to be healed. There are still blind eyes to be opened. There are still deaf ears to be unstopped. There are still lame legs for him to touch and for them to heal. But Jesus makes this amazing statement. He, he has now left that city and he's by himself. It's very early in the morning. He's in a desert, quiet place, according to verse 42. And then he says to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I've been sent. So Jesus identifies the fact that as a true medical missionary, his work is not limited to physical healing, but the purpose of God for his life is that he is under divine obligation. He is under the I must preach the gospel. What is Christ saying there? He's saying that you can never separate physical healing From the proclamation of the gospel and be a true medical missionary. For this purpose, you were sent into the world. For this purpose, you were born. For this purpose, God has given you the education He's given you. For this purpose, to integrate physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual healing, to see men and women whole again, you are under the divine obligation of the I must. Luke 9, verse 22. Luke 9, verse 22, we find it all through the Gospel of Luke. In Luke 9, verse 22, we see it again, where Jesus speaks about going to Jerusalem. And here in Luke, the ninth chapter, the 22nd verse, Jesus says, and we'll look at verse 21 to kind of get the setting, and he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, that they were going to be on their way to Jerusalem and that he was Christ, the divine Son of God, saying, the Son of Man, now notice this, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. It's a little strange text. The Son of Man must suffer many things. When you are on divine obligation, when the I must principle governs your life, when you know the reason that you are born for, it doesn't mean that you are going to um, have a cakewalk into the kingdom of God. It says you must suffer many things. We can never finish the work God has assigned us without having to endure some valleys, without having to climb some mountains. The Lord said in this world, you're gonna have tribulation. There'll be trials. There's gonna be challenges. There's gonna be difficulties. Leadership is never a popularity contest. Leaders are going to often be criticized. They're going to be misunderstood. Their words are going to be misquoted. Their motives are going to be mischaracterized. If if everybody likes what you're saying, you may not be saying very much. If everybody loves what you're doing, you may not be doing very much. The best way to avoid criticism is to maintain the status quo. But this was not the way of Jesus. Jesus was under a divine obligation. All the forces of hell were rallied against Christ. He faced opposition from religious leaders. He had to deal with misunderstanding about his mission. Popular Jewish culture longed for a powerful Messiah to deliver them from the Romans. His own disciples were confused about his ministry and where it would lead. They wondered what was the purpose of it all. Why had he come? What was the end result of following him? In the midst of opposition, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of outright rejection, Jesus remained singly minded and focused on his mission. He was under divine obligation of the I must. He would not be distracted. He would not be discouraged. He would not be downhearted. He would not be defeated. He focused on mission and that was what was important to him. What other people were saying about him was not his concern. His concern was a lost world. His concern was men and women that didn't know Christ. His concern was eternity for men and women. Jesus was under divine obligation. His ministry was not dictated by the popular winds that were blowing on the landscape of Palestine. His vision was clear. He was under the divine obligation, the I must. He had a clear vision of what lay before him and walked into the future with confidence. I love the way Luke puts it in Luke chapter 13. Luke 13, verse 33. We're looking at only two words in our text tonight. I must. Then we're going to look at the rest of the text, but there's so much in that text. Luke chapter 13. We look at verse 33, Luke 13, and we're looking at verse 33. Jesus speaks, and he points out that he must journey on, that nothing must distract him from his mission. He says, Luke chapter 13, verse 33, Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside Jerusalem. What does Jesus say? Don't you like that? I must journey. I can't stand still. I must journey. I can't maintain the status quo. I must journey. I have to continue to move on. I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following. In other words, I can't remain here. In other words, I must travel on. I have a mission to accomplish. I have a task to complete. Uh, there are villages to be won. There are towns to be reached. There are cities to be conquered for the kingdom the divine must is seeking God's new vision for our ministry and leadership. You see, any medical professional that is content with the status quo will earn a good income, but they'll never achieve the vision that God has for their life. Vision is what fuels our days. Vision takes our eyes off the mud below and focuses on the heavens above. Vision enables us to see, to see before others see, to see what others do not see, and to see beyond what others see. Vision is a dream that God places in our hearts about what He wants us to do in this place at this time for God's kingdom. What vision is God placing in your heart right now as a medical professional? What vision is God placing in you, your heart for your city? What more can you do for the community that you live in? What vision is God placing in your heart for your church? What vision is God stirring in your heart for overseas mission? What vision is God moving you with in living the I must life? We are always asking, what more, Lord? What more can I do for your cause? What additional plans do you have for my life? What new horizons lay before me? What new initiatives do you want me to pursue? What new mountains do you want me to climb? My wife and I have been in ministry for 55 years, and both of us are always coming up with new ideas, new ideas. We just established, you know, I'm 76 years old right now, but I'm always thinking, God, what what more do you have? What else is out there? What haven't we done that we can do? I do not want to come to my, the end of my life and lie on my bed and say, God, I regret. I could have done something else for your kingdom. I could have done something more. But Lord, I was too complacent to do that. Lord, place a vision in my heart. One of the visions God placed in our heart recently was to establish a pastor's retreat center. So two years ago, we established this pastor's retreat center. We can take 10 to 20 pastors at a time We have two saunas. We have a cold tub. We have a hot jacuzzi. So we heat the jacuzzi to 104 degrees. But then I have an automatic cold tub that we heat to 50. And I love to listen to the screams as people go from back and forth from the hot to the cold, hot to the cold, hot to the cold, you know. And the food is absolutely excellent. It's a plant-based diet. My wife makes it, supervises others that are making it, and people don't want to leave when they come there. We take in pastors. We get them on a good exercise program. We put them on a good diet. They come in on a Sunday, usually leave about on a Thursday, and they want to come back. Because we're always asking ourselves, what more Lord? We sponsor retreats there. We're dreaming now of putting another media center there in a barn that we're we're building. We're asking ourselves the question constantly, God, is there something more? Is there something beyond? Is there something we haven't yet thought of? I love this statement in Desire of Ages, page 73. Throughout his life on earth, Jesus was an earnest, constant worker. Now notice the next sentence. Can you read the next sentence with me, please? He what? Expected much, therefore what? He attempted much. How big is your God? How big is your God? Do you serve a God of the impossible? Do you serve a God that can take your talents and your abilities and expand them far beyond what you could ever imagine? Do you serve a God that broke the bread on the hillside of Galilee and he fed 5,000 and if he can do that with loaves and fishes, he can do much more to expand the influence of our lives? There is much more. Our God is an infinite God. Our God is an all-wise God. Oh God, Our God is a sovereign God. Our God is an all-powerful God. He expected much, therefore he attempted much. I continue with the statement in Desire of Ages, page 73. After he had entered on his ministry, he said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night comes when no man can work. So Ellen White is quoting the theme text for this week, John 9, verse 4. Jesus did not shirk care and responsibility, as do many who profess to be his followers. It is because they seek to evade this discipline that so many are weak and inefficient. They may possess precious and amiable traits, but they are nerveless and almost useless when difficulties are to be met or obstacles surmounted. The positiveness and energy The solidity and strength of character manifest in Christ are to be developed in us through the same discipline that he endured and the grace that he received is for us. When we take the loaves and fishes of our abilities and we give them to Jesus, by his divine grace, he multiplies them so that we can do much, much more than we believe or could ever accomplish. When God puts a vision in your heart and you know that it's a vision given by God, that you know it's not some fleeting, simply whim or wish, how do you know the difference between a divine impression and a compulsive desire? There's one way you know. A compulsive desire is going to come and it's going to go. It'll be here today and gone tomorrow. But a conviction placed in your heart by the Holy Spirit is a growing constant awareness that God wants you to do something that you cannot shake. And you have this conviction that comes back to you again and again and again. And when God gives you that conviction and gives you that vision, since all his biddings are enablings and since everything God asks us to do the infinite God gives us the power and wisdom to do. As we move ahead to do that, we see doors of opportunity open. We see God working miracles. I love the way Ellen White puts it in Christ's Object Lessons, page 331. Can you read it from the screen with me, please? Christ Object Lessons, page 331. We'll start with the word many. You ready to read? Many whom God has qualified to do an excellent work accomplish very little because they attempt little. God is longing for men and women in this final generation of earth's history who allow him to accomplish his dreams through them. God is longing for men and women of large plans, men and women who are willing to take a step of faith and step out for Christ because they know that all his biddings are enablings. Heavenly vision has to do with sensing the opportunities God is opening before you, seeing those opportunities clearly, and seizing them for the advancement of God's kingdom. So first we sense the opportunity, then we begin to see the doors opening, and we seize that opportunity. It is living with the expectation that God is going to do something special with your life now. That he he is at work to open new doors that you haven't yet seen before. We always sense before we see, and we see before we seize. Time is too short to trifle away the opportunities that God gives us. Our work must be accomplished by a divine must. With Jesus, we're under divine obligation. We declare, I must do the works of him that sent me. I must be about my father's business. I must proclaim the good news. But then there's the second aspect of this text as well. And we find it here in John 9, verse 1 to 4. First, we find the divi- that divine obligation or the divine mandate. Now we look at the divine objective, John 9, and we see there in verse 4 where Jesus says, I must work the works of the one who sent me. Now this is the sense of the divine call. This is the sense that God has placed you where you are and there's a divine calling in that. In John chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus puts it this way. John 20, verse 21 we're under divine obligation, and there's a divine objective. And that divine objective is to recognize the call of God in each of our lives. John chapter 20, verse 21. And the scripture puts it this way. Then Jesus said to them again, peace I leave you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. This sense that we're sent by God is the idea of the divine calling. The apostles were sent out by Christ on a divine mission. Everybody who has ever done anything great for God has had this sense of divine calling, this sense that I'm not alive by accident, but this sense that God has placed me in this particular work by a divine mandate, this sense that I'm in this city by a divine calling. You find that throughout the Pauline epistles, You find, for example, if you just look to the screen, you look at Romans 1, verse 1. Paul says, Paul, a bond servant of Christ. Notice the word called to be an apostle. Notice 1 Corinthians 1, 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ in the will of God. Galatians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Colossians 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. In other words, the apostle Paul had this sense that God's hand was upon his shoulder, that he was called at that moment of earth's history to do a special work in a special time. Just as Paul had that sense of divine calling, every one of us have that sense of divine calling. You remember Ellen White's statement where she says, not more surely is there a place prepared for us in the heavenly mansions than there is a special place prepared for us to labor on earth. Life is not a cosmic accident. God has sent you to the particular practice where you are. He invites you to kneel before him and have a larger vision a larger understanding. You are sent there by God. When God gives us a task, he gives us the ability to accomplish the task. When God places a vision in our mind, he gives us the ability to accomplish the vision. When God gives us an assignment, he gives us the ability to carry out the assignment. Everything God asks us to do, he empowers us to do. Now there are times in our life when we really feel the specific task before us is overwhelming we feel overwhelmed by the assignment. In 1991, my wife and I were invited to join It Is Written Television, where I became the speaker of It Is Written Television for 14 years. Now, when I joined It Is Written, George Vandeman had been the speaker and the originator of It Is Written. And the church had commissioned what was called the Blue Ribbon Report. And the Blue Ribbon Report was a report by a lot of experts that were paid some significant money to analyze what should happen when George Vanderman retired. And the conclusion of the report was, nobody can take over after George Vandermann, so you should fold the ministry and start a new ministry. I came to it as written with fear and trembling. To follow Pastor Vanderman. Pastor Vanderman was an outstanding communicator, one of the best you could ever have on television. Pastor Vandeman had that golden tongue. And when he spoke, he attracted the attention of business professionals and others. He had an amazing ability to connect. You felt like he was sitting in your living room talking to you. I watched Pastor Vandeman for a year he said, Mark, you just watch me. So I watched, and I watched, and I watched. He assigned me different other television speakers to, to, to watch. I watched them, Sa- some secular news commentators, some other religious commentators. For the first year, I didn't tape one television program. Then he said, Mark, it's your time now, and we're going to tape a series called The Thought Makers, the leading people who have, who have, influence thoughts around the world and we're going to compare that with the bible so the scripts were all written and uh, I was going to have my first opportunity to tape for it as written and I, I had these dreams of being on ABC and NBC and Trinity Broadcasting and 3ABN you know you have those dreams as a young preacher and uh, we taped those first five programs after we taped them, Pastor Vanman called me in his office. Now I knew what the cost was for those first five programs. It was between twenty and thirty thousand dollars. Pastor Vanman called me in his office, and I could tell that he was a little bit serious. And he said, "Now, Mark," I knew when he started that way. "Now, Mark, we have reviewed the programs." This lump came in my throat, knots in my stomach. We have reviewed the programs and we just don't think they're quality for It Is Written, so we can't use them. We just spent twenty to $30,000. I was the new speaker of It Is Written Television to follow Pastor Vanderman, and they were going to scrap the first five programs. I mean, I just put my head down. I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to respond, you know. And I said, well, Elder Vanderman, what are we going to do? And he said, I believe in you. I believe in you. I'll tell you, those words meant so much to me that I believe in you. They said, this is what we're going to do. You're not ready for primetime television right now, but we are going to get you the best coaches in Hollywood, and they're going to teach you television. Those were some of the hardest days of my life, and um, when these coaches sat by me, I watched my first program, 28 minutes, and they said, well, Mark, you communicated for about 45 seconds in that one, The rest was a dud. We're going to have you watch those 45 seconds, and you watch them. Why did you communicate effectively? Why didn't you communicate effectively? But through all of that time, one thing I knew, that God had called me to Israel. One thing I knew, that I was not there by accident. When the road gets rough, and the journey gets long, and the mountain is high, and the darkness of the valley surrounds you. If you know that you've been sent by God, you know that God is going to make a success because God does not sponsor any failures. And you know that God's going to take you through and we saw God do some amazing things in those years with it is written with the net programs and the programs went around the world and literally millions of viewers and tens of thousands of people baptized and came to this message we knew we were under a divine obligation I must we knew a divine objective that God had called us to that place some of you tonight may be going through real challenges real difficulties in your medical profession. But if you know that God has called you there, God is gonna get you through this thing. The valley may be long, the mountain may be high, the difficulties may be great, but we serve an infinite God who's bigger than the difficulties and greater than the problems, who can take us over, around, and through any mountain. God can take you over your mountain. God can take you around your mountain. God can take you under your mountain. And if he can't do that, you can dig through your mountain and find gold. That's the God that we serve. Now, I believe that one of the greatest challenges that leadership faces is the challenge to become stuck in a rut, to do the same thing again and again and again. God longs to stretch us. God longs to grow us. God longs to enlarge us. The Christ who calls us does not send us to maintain some administrative machinery and keep it running. He does not send us to maintain what is. He calls us to a larger vision. He calls us to a vision of what can be so that by his grace it will be. The larger our responsibility, the greater our opportunities. The bigger the assignment, the bigger the possibilities. Knowing that you're sent by God to live for something much larger, than yourself, gives purpose and meaning to your existence. As leaders, we're not to live under the I want principle or the I desire principle or the I wish principle, but the I must principle that God has sent us at this time of earth's history. There is the third portion of the text. You remember it well, where the text says, Jesus says, work for the night comes when no man can work. Work for the night comes when no man can work. What did Jesus mean by the night comes when no man can work? First, he was pointing forward to his death. Before him lay Gethsemane's garden. Before him lay Pilate's judgment hall. Before him lay Golgotha's mountain. Before him lay Joseph's tomb. Before him lay a thorny crown a leather whip embedded with metal and bone, jagged nails, a splintery cross, and a razor-sharp spear. Before him lay Judas' betrayal and Peter's denial and the Jewish leader's ridicule and the Roman soldier's mockery and the cries of the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus knew that the fleeting moments of time were speeding by. His ministry was coming to the end the miracle of the healing of the blind man in John 9 took place at the Feast of Tabernacles just six months before the Passover in the spring when he would die. Three years in Jesus' ministry would be over. There were six months left and he had to make every single moment count. Soon his voice would be silenced. Soon he would preach his last sermon. Soon he'd work his final miracle. Soon he'd finish the work that God gave him to do. And at the end of his life, he could say, in John 17, verse 4, I've glorified you on earth. I've finished the work which you gave me to do. Now, notice Jesus did not say, I've finished all the work. There were still blind eyes to be opened. There was still deaf ears to be unstopped. There were still withered arms to be healed. You can never finish all the work you want to do, but you can finish the work God gave you to do. And that's the most important thing. When you go to bed at night, there'll be many tasks undone. But you go to bed at night, and you lay your head on the pillow, and you say, God, today I did my best for you. Today, God, I poured everything I had out for you, every single ounce of energy, God, I poured out for you today. I have finished the work, God, you gave me to do. I finished the assignment that I was called for. Time was running out for Christ. And he must take advantage of every moment. Now, in a sense, time is running out for every single one of us. We can never go back and live a day over. One of the things that makes time so valuable is that life is very short. And Job cries out, when a few years are come, then I shall go the way when I shall not return, Job 16, verse 22. James adds, our life, what is it but a vapor which appears for a little time and then vanishes away, James 4, verse 14. It is but as a moment of eternity. That's what our life is. Time is short, and the work we have to do is so great that we have no time to spare. The work that we have to do to prepare for eternity must be done in time, or it can never be done. I love the way Ellen White puts it when she says this. Read it together with me, please. Our time belongs to God. Every moment is His, and we're under the most solemn obligation to improve it to His glory. Of no talent He has given will He require a stricter account than of time. Jesus knew that for Him, time was running out. He had to take special advantage of those last six months. And then Ellen White puts it this way, Christ's Object Lessons, page 342, the value of time is beyond computation. Christ regarded every moment as precious, and it is thus that we should regard it. Life is too short to be trifled away. We have but a few days of probation in which to prepare for eternity. We have no time to waste, no time to devote to selfish pleasure, no time for the indulgence of sin. It is now that we are to form characters for the future immortal life. It is now that we are to prepare for the searching judgment. I came across a little poem the other day by C.T. Studd, who was a missionary to Africa. And Studd said this, Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life. Will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before the judgment seat. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy it will be. If the last days of my life I've burned my life out for thee. When you come to die and you look back over your life, will you be able to say, I've held nothing back for Jesus. I've held nothing back. I've had one life to live, and I've given my all. There's another sense in which the night is coming when Jesus said, work for the night is coming. There's another sense, and it's this. We are living in the judgment hour of verse history, the day of atonement, and the work in the heavenly sanctuary is soon to be completed. Men and women are making eternal decisions for Christ, this is no game, it's a battle, it's a war. There's a conflict between good and evil taking place in the universe. And we were born at this moment of time, a verse history, to make a difference in the lives of men and women and to lead them to Christ. We are under divine obligation with a divine mandate to accomplish a divine objective with divine opportunities before us. Every day, God is going to be opening up opportunities for us to reveal his love in the way we relate to others, to share his love in what we say to others, to proclaim his love in the way that we minister to others. At times, we, the times we live in are times of uncertainty, but the Adventist message and the message of Christ in the Bible speaks certainty to people's souls. The times we live in are times of unbelief, but the Adventist message is believable to inquiring minds. The times we live in are times of insecurity, but the Adventist message rings with security to troubled hearts. The times we live in are times of despair, but the Adventist message is filled with hope for the hopeless. The time is right, the mission is clear, the divine mandate echoes in our hearts. We must work the works of him that sent us while it is yet day, for the night is coming where no man can work. This is no time for retreat. No retreat from the mission that God has given us. No retreat for the task that before us. No retreat from our God-given assignment. No retreat from the opportunities before us to share Christ. This is not a time for retreat. This is not a time to apologize for the Adventist message. This is a time to proclaim it. This is a time to leap into the world's need and to minister to the physical, mental, spiritual needs of men and women. This is a time of larger vision. This is a time of limitless opportunities. No time for retreat from the call of Christ to mission. No time to retreat from our calling as gospel medical missionaries. I was impressed recently to read the story of Adelaide Pollard. Adelaide Pollard was a young woman who, from her earliest ages, desired to be a missionary in Africa. She had an opportunity to visit Africa, which she did shortly in the late 1800s, early 1900s. When she returned from Africa, she was sick, really, really sick had very little money, and she thought, my dream is crushed. I will never be able to fulfill my dream of going to Africa as a missionary, a medical missionary. One evening in 1902, she went to a prayer meeting, and in that prayer meeting, there was an elderly woman that was praying, and the elderly woman prayed this prayer, it really doesn't matter what you do with us, Lord, just have your own way with our lives, and that, that prayer, it really doesn't matter what you do with us, Lord. Just have your own way with our lives. Adelaide Pollard went home, and she began to write, and these are the words she wrote. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I'm waiting, yielded and still. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Now, this verse really is the autobiography of Adelaide Pollard. She wrote her own story in this verse. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Wounded and weary, help me, I pray. Power, all power, surely is thine. Touch me and heal me, Savior divine. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold o'er my being, absolute sway fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. Is that your prayer? As medical missionaries, you and I are under a divine obligation. We cannot fail the Lord at this critical time of Earth's history. We're under a divine mandate, the I must mandate. God's opening up divine opportunities. He's placed you in the practice you're in. If you're a medical student at Loma Linda, he's placed you there for a reason. If you're a medical student at a non-Adventist or non-Christian university, he's placed you there. This week, there are gonna be opportunities for you Whatever your practiced, dental practice, psychology practice, medical practice in some way of physician, the incredible good news that God sends us into a weary, broken, confused, perplexed world, to touch somebody with his grace, to move in somebody's life to bring health and healing and to lead them to Jesus. And as we pray, is there somebody here that the burdens of work have kind of weighed you down? And you want to ask God tonight to anoint your eyes with a larger vision. That you want to look beyond the daily responsibilities that come with medical practice, but you want to have a refocus, a reorientation, a larger vision. You feel that God is is stretching you for something more, and you just want to raise your hand and say, God, by raising my hand, I want a larger vision. I want to be stretched by you, God. I don't want to get get tied down with with what is and fail to see what can be. I need a larger vision. Is there somebody here tonight that if you really take this message at heart, it's going to make a change in your life. That if you sense that you're under divine obligation, that you were born for this moment, that destiny is yours. And this message is going to make a change in your life. And you just want to lift your hand up and say, God, give me wisdom to make the changes necessary to be a more effective medical missionary for you. Just raise your hand. My Father in heaven, you're such a wonderful God. You're such merciful God and compassionate God. Thank you for what you are doing through everyone here tonight. Thank you for the incredible blessing that each one is to the world. But Lord, whatever we've done in the past, we know you want us to have a larger vision. And we know that when you give us that vision, you give us the strength to accomplish it. We sense that we're under a divine obligation of God. Help us take advantage of every moment of time. Help us not trifle our time away and we come to life's end, help us to know that we've held nothing back. By your grace, through your power, your spirit, and because we're motivated by love, may we give all to you. In Christ's name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.